0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I want to talk to you about the issue of money. Bless him, Lord, is what Pastor Serbrook said. Yes, and and as I said, the word money, some of you, you know how. Sometimes you just shudder, you just shake, and the mention of money brings that reaction to a lot of churchgoers, and they think, Joe, why don't you just stick to the gospel of Jesus? Talking about money has no place in church, but if you grew up around church, as many of you did, you've heard that Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer. He talked more about money than he did about heaven. He talked more about money than he did about the matter of having faith. And so if you think, hey, we just need to stick to the Bible, then most certainly we must talk about this topic that Jesus Christ made so prominent in his word. Now, having said that, for clarification, even though Jesus did talk a lot about money, he did not do so because he needed any. In fact, best as we can tell, Jesus never asked for a penny. Or back then, I guess the smallest currency wasn't a penny, it was a widow's mite. And a widow's mite in today's economy would be about an eighth of a penny. But but Jesus didn't talk about a widow's mite, he didn't ask for offerings, he didn't ask for donations, he wasn't after people's money. Do you know what he was after? People's hearts. And, are you listening? And he knew that a fairly accurate indicator of whether or not he had their hearts was if people put him first in the area of their money. Now, as we get into this topic, I realize you may not trust me when it comes to giving financial advice, and, and that doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't even trust myself a lot of the time. And, and some of you, uh, you may not trust uh, financial institutions nor financials, uh, financial advisors, and, and I certainly hope that you don't put your full trust in the government for financial advice, especially knowing that in 2021, our nation's deficit was $2.8 trillion. And one source, and I don't know, I, I read so much, uh, I, I don't know what's true But one source said that, that that meant that our government spent 13.2% more than what they took in So you probably don't want to swallow everything the government advises about money But hopefully you can trust God on this and, and think of this, if, if, if God is not trustworthy in the area of money management, do you really want to trust Him with your soul and with matters of heaven and hell? Mm. Just food for thought. You're dismissed. I'm finished. No, not really. <laughs> now, to lead us into this lesson, I, I want to ask you a question. I, I know this is going to sound strange, and, and, and it probably is, but here's the question. What do you do with your spare money? And, and for clarification, I'm not referring to the spare change that you take out of your pocket at the end of the day. You know, If you're one of the rare people, there aren't too many, but one of the rare people that actually carries cash, and you pay for something with cash at the store, and they give you change back, and you throw the spare change in the jar, or your kids grab it and put it in their piggy bank. That's not the spare money I'm talking about. But I'm talking about your spare dollars. What, what do you do with your spare dollars that you really don't need? Well, because I can read your minds. Here's what you're thinking. Joe, seriously, who has spare dollars lying around? And, and technically, probably very few of us have extra money just lying around on the dresser. But the truth is that most of us do have some spare money. We have spare money for the extra things we want. For example, guys, and and, and actually I shouldn't limit it to guys here, I guess guys and gals. Have you ever bought a gun? Don't raise your hand. Now from a fellow gun owner, this subject is pretty close to my heart, but, but most of you when you bought your latest gun, you didn't really need it for your place of employment, did you? It wasn't a requirement, so the gun you bought was probably just a, a want, and how did you buy it? With some of your extra money. Yeah, I, I, I know you told your wife what, I to, what I've told mine, you know, buying a gun is not really an expense, it's an investment, and you can never go wrong buying a gun, and that may be true, but, but again, the, the gun was probably not a need, it was just a want that you bought with your Spare dollars. Gals, and again, I probably shouldn't just limit it to gals, but maybe gals and and guys, have you ever bought a new outfit? Of course you have. Maybe not since yesterday. But when you bought your latest outfit, did you have other clothes that you could have worn? Uh, Was the outfit a true need? And you say, well, yes, I needed this. But would you have gone without clothes if you didn't buy it? More than likely, it was a want that you bought with your extra money. Have you ever taken a vacation? Maybe Branson or some other place. And you say, well, we needed to get away. And I agree, it's healthy for all of us to get away on occasion. And and my wife and I are going to do that in a few weeks. But how did you pay for that getaway with some of the extra money that you had? I know you have a car but do you have a second car do you have a third car and does your car have its own little house now you probably don't park it there because it's so full of other stuff that doesn't fit in your house that you also bought with some of your extra money but more than likely your car has its own little house and then how many of you have ever driven a car a good car to a car lot and then left it there and driven away with a newer car and how were you able to do that You used some of your extra money to buy it, or at least extra money to come up with a down payment. How about this? Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) When you went to uh, purchase your current cell phone, did your old cell phone still work? You, You see, people like us, with spare money, we don't wait for things to break. We upgrade. We trade things in. Or how about this one? Have you ever gone to your kitchen? A kitchen that has a countertop, a microwave, a stove, a refrigerator, and ripped it all out and has used some of your spare money to replace it with a new countertop, refrigerator, microwave, and a stove? Or how about this? Do you have so much spare money that you actually pay someone to keep track of your extra money for you and invest it so it turns into more extra money? Now, now, before some of you are, uh, blow a gasket here, I'm not criticizing anybody for upgrading or, or renovating or trading in or, or taking a, a, a vacation or buying anything. That, that's not my point. If that's what you're getting out of this, you're totally missing the point. I'm just trying to establish that even though we walk around saying, man, things are tight financially and, I, and I'm broke, yet much of what we buy today is not a need. It's simply a want and it's bought with our Spare money. And the reason we don't feel like we have any spare money is because we agree with John D. Rockefeller. When asked how much money is enough, he said just a little bit more. And so regardless of the level of of wealth that you've accumulated, whether you only have a few dollars to your name, or maybe a a few thousand dollars to your name, or a few hundred thousand dollars to your name, or, or even several million dollars, I don't think that anybody in that range would feel rich because we've all been programmed that rich is having just a little bit more than we do. Therefore, Even though none of you fine folk here and none of you that are watching online or listening on the radio, none of you are guilty of this, yet other churches have people who are guilty of a sin that God warns us about in the Bible. And this is a sin that I don't think any of us have probably ever felt that we've committed. In fact, as a pastor down through the years in conversations with many people and seeking spiritual help, they've opened up and they've told me some of the sins they've committed, I'll tell you, I've had some pretty horrible sins that have been told to me since, such as child abuse, sexual abuse, homosexuality, lesbianism, rape, affairs, pornography, selling illegal drugs, stealing money, stealing cars, lying. And thankfully, nobody has said, Joe, I murdered someone and you can find their body over here. That hasn't happened. I'm, I'm grateful of that. But so many sins have been told to me privately, but I don't think I have ever had anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I'm guilty of the sin of Greed. And the reason is because greed comes on us so gradually and it's so hard to see in our own mirror. I can see greed in you. You can see greed in me. But we can't see greed in ourselves. Yet, greed is behind much of the financial struggle that we have. Greed is behind a lot of the financial stress that keeps us awake at night. Greed is behind a lot of our credit card debt. Uh, According to creditcards.com, the average credit card balance is $5,500, $5,500. Now, that means this, because I have a credit card, my balance is zero, you have a credit card, and your balance is zero. So that means that to get it up to $5,500, there are some people that have enormous credit card debt. Greed is also behind the sad fact that a third of Americans could not come up with $2,000 for an emergency. You say, well, Joe, I, I guess I just don't understand what greed is. So maybe a definition would be in order. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that all of our money is for our own consumption, whether it's spending all you get or saving all you get. The, the same assumption that drives some people to spend, spend, spend is the same assumption that drives some people to save, save, save because who are you spending it on? You. Who are you saving it for? You. Different approach, but the same consumption assumption and many times we point to the rich people and say well they're greedy but there are just as many poor people who are greedy as well now jesus points to a completely different paradigm different way of viewing our money and when we begin to view our money the way he does it changes it changes things not just our finances but it changes our hearts It gets us off the treadmill of of more, 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 and me, me, me. And it leads to freedom and contentment and financial margin. Here's what Jesus said about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. And when someone, especially Jesus, says, watch out, you better pay attention um a couple of days ago my my grandson and i were out at our farm and what we like to do is find an old dead snag a dead tree and try to push it over i don't know we're warped and, and what we do for entertainment but uh there was one that my grandson wanted to do by himself and and so he was pushing it back and forth and i looked up at the top and i've already said jace you got to look at the top because it could break and fall off and and so i saw that it was getting to that point i said jace watch out too late that thing fell Well i wanted to kind of protect my grandson And uh, uh, the top of that tree fell off on me. Uh, but, But when someone says, watch out, better pay attention. And then it goes on and says, be on your guard against what? On your guard against animals, wild animals, bad people. Well, actually, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Really? Is greed that bad that we need to watch out and be on our guard against it? Of course, Jesus says all kinds of greed, so there are different types of greed. Um, We can be greedy for money, we can be greedy for power, and there are those that are greedy for attention. Jesus is saying, watch out! Be on your guard against greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, life is more than money. Life is more than stuff. And we're all so worried that we will run out of stuff before we run out of time. But actually, most of us are going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. We're going to die with a lot of stuff left over. Now, a little bit of the stuff that we have may be valuable, maybe maybe some guns, maybe some old coins, maybe some family keepsakes, some rings, heirlooms. But most of the stuff that will still be there after we take our last breath will be Junk. And after our funeral, our our kids will walk into our house, and, and they will groan, and they will say, what are we going to do with all of this stuff, or all of this junk? So Jesus' attitude is basically this, money can certainly add meaning to your life, stuff can add meaning, but neither stuff nor money are the meaning of life. So here's a thought instead of making every dollar that comes your way a means to something newer or shinier or renovated, what if you began to view your money as a tool to add meaning rather than just adding stuff? And by the way, if you and I had been thinking this way for the past 10 years, um, you, you know, things would look so different in our lives. Things would look so drastically different. Because you know we would probably have um, a lot more savings. we would have less stuff, and um, you know we would probably have less debt we 'd have more margin so so this is really a big deal this This goes way beyond our, our our personal finances. This is about who is in charge of our life. Jesus teaches that what we do with our money is an indicator of who. And whose we are. Now, as we continue making us all uneasy and violating our comfort zones this morning, I want us to look at the way that the typical American handles their finances. And we can't talk, we can't talk about um, you know our, our, our finances without um, a graph. So let's go back to school and. Um, you, you learned this in, in school, and what we have right here, we'll just go over here. This right here is what axis? This is a test. This right here is the y-axis that represents your money. What is this axis right here? X-axis. And, and by the way, do you, uh, anybody remember the z-axis? No. Well, the z-axis, just to review is that uh, it's it's kind of a a weird one that comes down like this and and it kind of creates the the 3D look but we don't have a, a z axis but um so anyway we we've, we've got a a a y axis represents our money we've got the x axis that actually uh represents you know the years and um you know un- unfortunately and and you know just this right here is the way, I guess not unfortunately, but this is the way that our, our life may, may go and, and hopefully we'll have, our, our income will go up like this. Now there may be some downturns, you know, downturns in the economy. We may switch jobs. They say that the average adult switches jobs 12 different times. And uh, so that may be, you may actually get tired of your job and so you take another job, you go down a little bit. And I was counting up since my college days, since I graduated from college, I've actually only had four jobs. So I guess, you know, I've got eight more jobs to have before I, I retire. Uh, but, but this is the way that hopefully our income will look. It'll just keep going up and up and up. But unfortunately for many Americans, our spending will look like this. The more money we make, the red is our spending. It pretty much matches how much we make. And sometimes our income drives our spending. Um, You know, if we make $25,000 a year, we typically spend $25,000 a year. If if we make $50,000 a year, we spend it. If we make $100,000 a year, we spend it. Now, I know some people say, well, if I made that much, I would save a lot of that money. And maybe, but probably not. Our current spending habits generally follow us as we make more and more money and people who have not disciplined themselves to to, to live on a budget making $25,000 a year, uh, what they will find is the only thing that changes as their income goes up is now their car payments go up. Do you know why? Because they drive nicer cars. And then their mortgage payments go up. Why? Because they have nicer houses. They have nicer and newer and 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 better and shinier, and even though they're making more money than they've ever made before, they find themselves with as much financial pressure than ever before in fact sometimes the financial pressure is even greater because you see if you lose a $25,000 a year job you can probably go find another one Um, $25,000 a year is roughly minimum wage $11.15 an hour working 43 hours a week so you can generally you know quit a minimum wage job and go find another one But if you lose a $75,000 a year job or a $150,000 a year job, it's like, good luck, pal. You know, in this part of the the, the country, those jobs are few and far between. And, And so knowing that if you lose your current job where you're making more money than ever before and would have trouble replacing that job, the more pressure, more financial pressure you will feel. So... As our income income goes up, for the majority of us, income goes up, our spending pretty much just matches our income. Um, But then for a bunch of us, the, the graph actually turns into this. We become like our government, and we spend more than what we make. Now, sometimes there are factors out of our control. But more often it's because we spend and, and borrow and refinance until we're upside down. And if our spending continues to exceed our income, the next thing we know, we won't just have a money problem, we'll have a marriage problem. The number two cause of divorce, money. We'll have a health problem. I mean, financial stress brings on heart disease, high blood pressure. We'll have a mental health problem because money stress causes depression. We'll have a legal problem because our bills are going unpaid, and, and collection agencies will be hounding us and threatening to take our car and even evict us from our house. And so, when your life becomes like this graph, where you spend more continually than what you make... Um, you become a slave. You've purchased or borrowed your way into slavery. Visa, MasterCard, car loans, mortgages have become your masters. And you know what? You become a number. And, and, And I hate this. But you just call your credit card company or your mortgage institution and give them your name and what's their next question? What's your account number? And then they will want to know your your birth date and the last four digits of your social security number. And then they want you to verify your telephone number and your address. And then they want to know your weight and your shoe size and maybe not quite that far. But as their slave, you're no longer a person with a name. You are a number. And they don't care about you as a person. So Jesus is, is trying to help us understand that as long as we control our money, then it can add meaning to our life. But once we allow it to control us, then we become slaves. Now, there are essentially five things that you do with your money. And, and, and for most of us, this is pretty common. And, and here is the order. First of all, we spend it. That's the first thing. You know, we just spend it. And um, if you want to go ahead and put that on the screen there, or are we up there? Just hit, click there. Uh, we, we spend it. And and um, we're, we're, we're pretty good at doing that. And then uh, next thing we do is we, we pay debt. Uh, depending on how much you have spent or, or misspent, you know, we, we pay debt. And then uh, thirdly, we pay taxes. Uh, and I hope that you're doing that or you will get your name in the paper. Uh, fourthly, we, we save it. And, and I hope that you're doing some of that. And then, number five, if there's any left over, which normally there isn't, what do we do? We give it. We give it away. I want to go through this list. And um, I want to just uh, give you some insight that uh, you, you might have not have thought about. So let, let's go to this list and, and, and look at spend it. Who's that for? Who's that for? Let, let, let's go on. They're okay go ahead and click again. Um, so the, the first spend it, who's it for? Me. Me. Okay, we pay debt. Who's that for? Me. Pay taxes? Eh, that's kind of America and me. Um, you, you know, you pay taxes so you can get that huge social security check when you retire. I didn't hear any amens on that one, but that's basically for me. Um, Save it. Who's that for? Me. Give it. Well, finally, that's for someone else besides me. Uh, That's for God and maybe sometimes others. So our spending goes like this. Me, 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 me. And then finally... God, and others. Now, the problem with that is that God comes in last and gets the leftovers. You know, if, uh, if I haven't spent it all, if I don't owe it all on my loans, if the government doesn't get it all, if I don't save the rest, then perhaps God and others will get something. And let me tell you what this is called. This is called me first living with leftover giving. And this is the script that most of us saw modeled in our homes. This is certainly the script that culture encourages. But Jesus shows us his thoughts on this. He he says in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where, where your treasure is, your stuff, your money, your hopes, your habits, your addictions, your pleasures, that's where your heart is. Wherever, whatever gets our treasure, generally has our heart. You know, if you've ever gotten a new car, you understand this. For the first few weeks, maybe first few months, you park it as far away from the other cars as you can get. And you didn't allow your kids to have food within 10 yards of the car. Why? Because that car cost a lot of money. You guarded it. And so through this verse, Jesus is saying to us, I I can tell where your heart is, not by looking at whether or not you read your Bible or or pray. I can tell where your heart is by looking at your bank statement, at your credit card statement, at your checkbook. And and I think Jesus would add, show me your money, where you sent it, where you spent it, where you saved it, how you saved it. Because your money's direction reveals your affection. Your, Your money's direction, you know, where you send it, how you spend it, how you save it reveals what you care about the most so l- let's go back to that list of how most of us spend our money and and remember it's me first me second me third me fourth and then if there's any left over, or if I feel compassion or if there's an earthquake then I might give I believe Jesus calls us to flip that script and, and don't panic we're not going to ask you to give everything away that would actually be irresponsible But in light of the fact that our money is not even ours to begin with. Did you know that? Who does does it belong to? We're just stewards. We're just managers of it. But in light of that, here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 6. But seek, what's the next word? First, seek what? His kingdom and his righteousness. Now, the word kingdom kind of throws us off because... We don't call our country a kingdom. And the word righteousness, it's kind of confusing because it sounds theological. But here's what Jesus was saying. My Father's kingdom is not me, 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 and then give the leftovers to God's kingdom. It's a seek God first kingdom. And do you know why Jesus taught this? Again, it's not because he wants your money. It's because he wants you. And when your priorities reflect the principles of Jesus, and and when you put God first, even in the area of your finances, here's what will happen. You will have way more peace. You will have way more contentment. And newsflash, you'll probably even have more money and even more financial margin. So Jesus said to seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, all the things that you worry about, the the needs that are crucial to being able to survive. If we seek God's kingdom first, God says, I'll take care of those things, those other things for you. And so, without insulting your intelligence, could I just make this lesson really simple and practical? It has to be simple and practical for me to understand it. But here's what I would like to present to you. My wife Faith and I... um, We've tried to live this way for nearly 38 years. We haven't done everything perfectly. At times we've blown money. At times we've spent impulsively. But this is largely the way that we've tried to live our our financial lives. It can be summarized with three words. Give. Save. Live. Now, now, Now write these down. Write them on your hand if you have to. Give. Save live of course it's different than the way we've been programmed we've been programmed to live and then save and then give but but i challenge you to flip the script you know when you get paid invest in god's kingdom first give first and again, Faith and I haven't always done everything right. I'm not saying that we're the great role models. We're not. But before I get my monthly paycheck from the church, my tithe is already taken out. My, my paycheck reflects that reduction for my tithe. And, and then Faith and I have chosen to even give some above our, our tithe. I want to make sure that I invest in God's kingdom first because that's really where the eternal dividends are, are, are paid. And, you know, it's good. And I, I have a few earthly investments. I'm always glad when they pay off. But more than a hefty earthly portfolio, I want a hefty heavenly portfolio. Amen. So I want to make sure that I'm giving to God's kingdom first. Amen. Now, here's a tip as, as you give, don't think in terms of amounts of money. Um, Think in terms of percentages. You know, for some of you to give $1,000, it would be a huge sacrifice. For others of you, if you gave $1,000, you wouldn't even notice that it was missing from your account. So, and it wouldn't even maybe even reflect your tithe for one week. So equal sacrifice, but not equal amounts. God, God doesn't promote amounts. He promotes percentages. You say, well, pastor, okay, come on. Well, Percentage. Well, that's for you and God to decide. I know the Bible talks about a tithe, which means 10%, but I don't think we should be limited to that minimum. Hopefully there will be generosity above the tithe. So I I would challenge you, look at your giving statement for this past year, compare that to your salary. You say, well, okay, gross salary or net salary, whatever. Whatever. Depending if you want God to bless you off the gross or off the net. Um, but, but just compare there and, and see where you are. How did you do last year? And I think several would probably be surprised. But if you haven't been giving a tithe, then evaluate how you can do that. And, and I realize there are some people here that are on such a tight budget that you may actually need to work up to that 10% over a period of time. But but choose a percentage, get that money out of your kingdom, and into God's kingdom before you're tempted to spend it. You know, give to the local church, maybe give to some missionaries or a ministry that's near and dear to your heart, and something else. Don't be one of those that only gives after a hurricane strikes or a tornado hits or, or an earthquake hits. Almost everybody gives where, when there's an emergency. Let's be better than that. Let's find the organizations that we trust and systematically start giving money to them every single month, even if there's no emergency. So give first. Now, just a quick note of thanks. I I was telling our pastors, prayer partners, we have a prayer meeting at eight o'clock before the service, and I was just so overwhelmed with with gratitude. Uh, You have been so generous to this church, and you know, this has been a tough year. This last year was a tough year. The second year of COVID, and you know, the first year we kind of got stimulus checks that helped, kept, uh, they kept us going last year. Not not much of that. But I, I want to just commend you this past year. Do you realize that in the hundred and some year history of this church, this past year, our giving, your giving to the general fund was the highest ever in our history. And that's that's amazing. I'm just... And and, and so I want you to understand, I'm not coming to you because this church is in financial trouble. I'm just coming to you because this is a spiritual issue. I'm not begging you to give. I'm just saying that Jesus says the control of our money and possessions is a spiritual issue. And obviously your giving to this church does allow us to continue trying to help people come to Jesus. So give first. Secondly, save. Giving is an investment into God's kingdom and into your eternal future, but saving is an investment into your earthly future. And I don't mean to bash the government, uh, but don't count on the government to support you in your golden years. If they do, that's great, but, but don't count on them. Make preparations to live if Social Security goes belly up. So as you save, again, pick a percentage Uh You know, rule of thumb is 10%. Do more if you can. You may have to start with less. Saving is not only an investment in our earthly future, but but it's also a way of helping our family because we don't want our kids or our grandkids to have to take care of us, right? Wouldn't it be bad to come down to our last few years and say to our kids, grandkids, I'm sorry, but your mom and dad and your papa and granny didn't plan very well, so could you help support us? So, give first, save second, and thirdly, live on the rest. After you give and save, then you just consume your little heart out. You know, pay your bills, and then spend, spend, spend. Get newer, nicer, upgraded, remodel your kitchen and bedrooms and garage and gazebo, and get pedicures, manicures, order from Amazon daily, Buy a Rolls Royce, a Lamborghini, whatever. You know, once you've given, once you've saved, everything else is yours to consume. So, rich people, poor people, upper class, lower class, those of us with no class at all, This is how to live responsibly. Give, save, and live. This is the key to guarding against greed. This is the key to ensure that you have control of your money and that your money does not have control of you. Give first, save second. Adjust your lifestyle to live on the rest. Now, one thing... I've already anticipated, I know some of you, the wheels are turning, the hamster is dead, but the wheels are turning. Some of you have already been thinking of why this won't work for me. Yeah, uh, you know, sure it makes sense for everybody else, but for some reason we all think our situation is different and and we're the exception. And so maybe a few of you are thinking, Joe, I'm all forgiving and and what you said, you know, about how we spend our money of of me, 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 and, and finally God, that was pretty clever. But but Joe, if I flip the script and begin to give first, it's going to take us, here's what you're thinking, it's going to take us twice as long to save for a down payment, or it's going to take us twice as long to pay off our house, or, or pay off our car, our credit cards, and it'll be a long time before we get to remodel the kitchen, or we'll have to drive this, this five-year-old jalopy another two years. So, so Joe what if we make a deal with God? What if we promise God that after we kind of get things paid down and get control of our finances, that we will then start this plan of give, save, and live? And here's my response. This isn't for me. And and, and I know what you're suggesting makes good logical sense, but, but God's directive to seek first His kingdom doesn't have fine print under it. It doesn't say... We'll do this once you get established financially. It doesn't say do this once you get your debt paid down. It, it doesn't say do this once the kids get out on their own. It's a directive that we're to do whether we're rich or poor, in debt, or debt-free, young or old. And if you will flip the script and put God first and then your future second and then adjust your lifestyle so you can afford to live on the rest something amazing will begin to happen in your heart. Amen. And I've heard people that have given their testimony. They've said this so many times. They say, I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense on paper, but something has happened. Something has happened inside of me. My priorities have changed. And, and, and sometimes it's like, you know what? I, I found out I can do more with 90% and God being my partner, than 100% doing it alone. And I think that you will find that the money that you choose to put God first, you know, whenever we do this in a way that actually feels like it's costing you something, and you know what does? Whenever we take and give first, it feels like it's costing us something. But whenever we begin to feel like, you know what, there is some sacrifice here. It is costing me something. It just seems like God comes to a rescue, and He begins to stretch, and He begins to bless. He begins to make a way. So let me wrap this up with just a few questions. What's your current financial strategy right now? Is it me, 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 and then finally God? Or or is it God's kingdom first and then your kingdom? Here's another question. Do you believe that God can be trusted with your soul in matters of heaven and hell? I mean, do you? I I think that most of you say, oh yeah, I do. So if the answer is, is yes, why wouldn't you trust him when it comes to your finances? Remember, Jesus knew that a true indicator of whether or not he has our heart is if he has our finances. So so why don't we begin following his financial advice? Give, save, and adjust your lifestyle to live on the rest. And I hesitate to bring this up because health, wealth, prosperity preachers they've distorted this so much and they will say you know what if you will give to god god will just bless you so much and you know he'll take your jalopy and turn it into a jaguar but god does promise a blessing if we honor him let me close with this scripture that if you've been raised in church you've heard so many times it's an old testament scripture but in malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says will a man rob god yet you rob me. You ask, well, how did we rob you, God? Well, here's what he says, in tithes and offerings. And he goes on and says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And here it is, I want you to listen. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, let me, un- l- let me make you understand. This doesn't mean that you will be rich. This doesn't always refer to financial blessings. But God promises blessings. Sometimes they are financial blessings. He's a good God. He loves to give his children good gifts. But sometimes they're blessings of peace. You know what? Probably the prayer that I pray more than anything else is, God, give my family peace. What a tremendous blessing. Sometimes it's the blessing of Friendship. There's so many people that are alone, and what a blessing it is when you've got a friend. Or sometimes God blesses us with some influence. God promises us with blessings. So again, I'm not asking you to just give to this church. I'm not saying you got to give, give, give. But I just want to let you know that I think Christ is very clear that the last part that we tend to give to God is our pocketbook. We give him our heart. You know, we give him everything else, but then when it comes to our money, it's like God, I'm not sure you understand the principles of money. So, could I just say, let's trust him with everything.